Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm Tim Muma, and you've ordered up Scrambled Eggs today. Scrambled Eggs is more of a laid-back, entertaining approach to the employment realm, looking at the world from a slightly different lens from time to time. In here, bad is good, and weird is often better. The topic, though, on today's menu, the role that perceived attractiveness and physical characteristics play in the workplace. Admittedly, it's a somewhat sensitive and complicated subject, but an aspect of our lives that does exist in one way or another. Now you are listening to part two of this discussion on the role of physical appearance, particularly when we talk about attractiveness in the work environment. PhD James Horan, psychologist and managing director at HVS Executive Search, has already given us tons of great information and research discoveries on this tricky yet fascinating topic. If you missed part one of our conversation, just fire up localjobnetwork.com and click on the radio tab near the top of the screen and you can find the role of physical appearance part one. So let's jump back into the conversation I had with Dr. Jim. So then, obviously, we're talking about there may be differences here between men and women. And you did bring up the idea, you know, there are certain traits that, you know, the height of a man and broad shoulders, that kind of thing. But do you think overall in the workplace especially that there are differences in terms of more weight being placed on the female versus the male. And for example, one of the things I believe was noted in um, that article that you had contributed to that obesity in women was, was seen as a negative, whereas men, it didn't necessarily factor as much, I guess. What were your kind of, what are your thoughts or what's your research kind of said with that? Yeah, I think the research overall does paint the picture that women might be penalized more in the area of physical attractiveness than men in the workplace. I'm sure the answer to that is very complicated. However, you have to remember, too, that women, let's just take their dress, for example, how they dress. There's a lot of homogeneity in the way men dress Mm -hmm. in the professional workplace. Just take a walk through New York, the financial district, and you'll see, you know, different colors of suits. But basically, men are in suits. Right. That's kind of it. Sometimes with a tie, sometimes not. Sometimes with a vest, sometimes not. Sometimes with brown shoes or black shoes. But really... Men are wearing more or less kind of the same thing. Now, that's less the case in Europe, but basically I think we all can agree in the business world, there is kind of a one option for men. Would you, would you agree with that, or, do you, or is your experience different? No, I, I think overall, as a general rule, I'd, I'd completely agree as with that. As a general rule, right. Yeah. So men, you know, we, we kind of blend in. However, women, they have all sorts of different options for what they can wear. Suits, pantsuits, dresses, skirts. And so they stand out. Naturally, they just gain attention. And they're going to gain attention from men just because of the natural dynamic between men and women. And women are going to gain the attention of women. Who's outdressing who? Who's looking like what? Who's setting the trends? So naturally, I think women just just inherently attract more attention in a workplace than do men, both from men and from women. Sure. What I thought was interesting, too, is earlier you mentioned about um, some of the different things, maybe advantages that perceived beauty or attractiveness those people would get. And you talked about things of people liking similarities. And if we feel somebody's taking care of themselves, those are all kind of positive traits. But I thought some of the other interesting things that were mentioned in the article about what people are willing to divulge or, or the information that maybe they have about um, a physically attractive person. And for example, in that was mentioned that um, they'll be more likely to be cut slack. Uh, for example, if maybe a project didn't go right, that, you know, well, we'll give them a second chance. Or people are more willing to give up information to an attractive person. 
I guess I was just curious your take on why that would be because it doesn't seem to me like you're doing that because oh well they take care of themselves and you know they take pride in this so I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for them so what what is kind of the psychology behind why we would cut them some slack or why we would divulge information to them that we wouldn't to you know the average quote unquote average looking person it comes down to a very simple principle remember I said earlier this notion of generalization mm-hmm. we make all sorts of generalizations. The generalization we make with beauty is simply that what looks good must be good. In a psychological sense, what that means is that beauty is automatically equated with something being good or better, more smart, more successful, and more important and more valuable. So when someone attractive asks us, we tend to trust that person more. We tend to assume that their intentions are good because they look good. uh, And we assume that we're helping them. And that always feels good as well. So... There's a psychological thing, not just a physical attractiveness at play. There's all sorts of psychological cognitions, thoughts, and feelings that are wrapped around attractiveness that makes us just more likely than not to comply. So is there any truth or or idea to the the fact that, um, for example, I have, you know, friends that as females, they feel like sometimes they get talked to more often, even if, even if it is by a male who's married or in a relationship. And sometimes they feel it's just because that, that guy is thinking maybe at some point down the road, something would evolve from that, especially if the female is attractive. Are there any sort of instinctual, uh, you know, nature biology type things that are working there when you have opposite genders, even in a workplace environment? Oh, absolutely. I think it would be naive to assume that the you know male female dynamic of compatibility and attraction is not operating on some level whether people are married or not or whether they would ever act on those instincts or not mm-hmm. of course they're there they're there for different people to different levels but they're there sure. but also i think what's probably at play is well remember back in high school or college we always want to be part of the in crowd mm. and sometimes we would do whatever it took to be just associated with that in crowd And so I think to some extent we're drawn to attractive people because we assume they're successful and by being associated with them, we're part of the in crowd and maybe some of their success and popularity will rub off on us. Now with all this, we've for the most part been talking about how, you know, being seen as attractive is a positive in so many in so many ways, whether it be physically attractive or in the ways you carry yourself and some of the other intangible sort of things you talked about. But from different things I've seen, including the material you guys had, it talks about there also being a, at some point a negative effect of beauty. Would you be able to kind of jump into that a little bit and give us an idea of, of the idea that beauty, attractiveness can at some points have a, a negative effect? Well, it absolutely can. Um, for example, um, you know, individuals that are unusually physically attractive, they can often be at a disadvantage because people attribute greater negative and egocentric traits to them. Mm-hmm. We assume, oh, this person must be a diva or this guy is stuck on himself. Extremely attractive individuals also experience sometimes unwanted sexual advances. Members of their own sex often resent them because they assume, even if they're not, they assume they're getting all sorts of perks and advantages because of their looks. And attractive people themselves, they often are unsure of whether others like them for their appearance or for their inner qualities. And I think women experience this a lot in the workplace. Am I getting this promotion? Is this guy talking to me because I'm wearing a short skirt and I'm attractive or because he or she admires my work, my credibility, my competency. And people that are really attractive, they are assumed to rely more on their looks than their talent. So there is actually a negative correlation between physical attractiveness 
and honesty and concern for others. The more attractive, physically attractive now a person tends to be, the more suspicious and actually isolated they can become. Mm-hmm. Along those same lines, and you mentioned the, the idea of unusually attractive, you know, kind of that, that elite level, so to speak, however you want to view that. I've spoken with some different management type people, different industries, and I've actually been told by them at, at times they feel that someone is better off being just a little attractive, where you you don't want to be on the the, the bottom end of the spectrum, so to speak, of being unattractive. But you also, as you mentioned there, don't necessarily want to be to that higher level of unusual attractiveness. Have you come across that? Have you discussed that? Have you researched the idea that the middle is kind of a safe ground, even when you're talking about physical traits and kind of the, the way you carry yourself? Well, in an informal way, yes. Um, in part of my work, I do a lot of executive coaching, men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, again, is self-awareness. What are the messages that they're sending to other people? And are those the messages they want to send? And making sure that someone doesn't try to purposely make themselves look better than everyone else. Sure. In other words, making sure you're not outdressing someone just because you can. Making sure you're buying Prada just to make an appearance or, oh, flash that Rolex. Those things can actually be resented. So it's keeping things in check. You want to be presented well, but again, not be seen as inaccessible. Most people can't afford Prada or wear a Rolex. And so you want to be careful about how you do come across from a physical standpoint in terms of your dress and whatnot. And besides, you know, do we tend to like or dislike people that use very long words? We call them <laughs> sesquipedalians. That's the actual technical term, sesquipedalian. Those are people that use big words just for the sake of using big words. Right. And they think that they're coming across very intelligent and, you know, that they're giving a certain air. Well, they are. They're coming across like a jerk. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, you're just trying to sound like you're more intelligent. Sure. And I think that that is an experience everyone can relate to. And I think it drives the point home. It's good to take, you know, control of your looks, your hygiene, your manner, your dress, your speech, but don't go overboard or you actually will have the opposite effect. You want to look like you care about yourselves and other people, but not that you are above other people or better than others. So is there any sort of guideline or way to, other than maybe, you know, sitting in on one of your coaching sessions or uh, I guess, are there any general tips for somebody to be able to really assess themselves in that manner where they are presenting themselves in the best light, but not, as you say, acting as though they're above the people that they're working with or working for, or however that might, uh, the relationship might be? Well, there's certainly a lot of different tips and tactics people can use. I think one of the most effective is When you're going shopping for professional dress, okay, that can be shoes or an outfit or accessories, go with someone that's a personal friend, not a coworker, Mm -hmm. not a peer at work, anything like that. Just go with somebody that is a friend, a, a close personal friend that you respect and have that person give you honest feedback on what looks good on you and what doesn't. What seems to look like, yes, you'll be seen as somebody that fits in. Versus, boy, you're sure coming across like someone that wants to stand out. Right. Because that realistic feedback can actually make all the difference. And people are usually not very good at at understanding the messages that we're giving to people, spoken or unspoken, how we come across in our dress. And so having someone that can kind of keep it real for you is very valuable. And with all the stuff you talk about, it almost really seems like, especially in some industries, maybe such as with sales or anytime you're dealing with clients – that 
the idea of attractiveness, again, whether it be the physical, actual attractiveness or the way you present yourself, it's almost a skill. I mean, do you see it that way, that it's, it's really a skill in the business world? Well, it is. That's why people get coaching right. for this sort of thing. Um, and that's why there are TV programs about image makeovers. People are not just born with this information. You either learn the hard way or you try to take control and you try to learn and educate yourself on what is that correct balance that's going to make you seem like you care, that you're credible, that you're accessible, that you're intelligent, that you're competent, but at the same time that you're not above everybody else. Sure. And that takes, that takes skill. You're absolutely right. What I think is interesting, another person I spoke with, um, she's someone in the sales realm. Essentially, it's openly kind of admitted amongst herself and her peers. She she is more on the attractive scale and her sales are, are higher in a lot of instances. And again, it's kind of open that they, they joke about it, but it's kind of a, in a serious context that, well, you know, she says, I understand I'm, I'm a little more attractive and that's going to give me an advantage in sales, that sort of thing. Is that a very touchy thing that people should be avoiding talking about in work, even even if it is an accurate assessment and it's completely true? Is that something where employers, employees should, you know, if you want to accept it, believe it, fine, but discussion of it, maybe leave that, uh, leave that off the table? Wow, boy, you sure put me on the spot with that one. That's a Pandora's <laughs> box that I'm not going to open, but I'll tell you this. The general topic of how a person comes across to others and that attractiveness is not just about your physical looks, but also your attitude, how you carry yourself and your mannerisms. These are things that people have control over. Mm. And I think it's perfectly fine in training programs or just to let people know, just for their own edification, that people that are likable, that people that are attractive in a general sense, these are the people that win others over. Sure, It's a truth that we already know, and it's not a bad thing at all. It's just how things are. And if we then follow that up with making it very clear, that yes, physical beauty is part of the equation, but it's not the entire equation. In fact, there's a big, big part of that equation that we have control over. And just because someone is physically good looking, that does not overcome some things. A person can be physically good looking, but if their attitude is horrible, if they're a nasty egocentric person, I'm sorry, you're not going to get return sales. You might make one, but you're not going to make two and three. Sure. The person that might be more, let's say, average looking, but presents him or herself well, is likable, is accessible, is the kind of person that people feel comfortable around because there's that sense of familiarity as well as attractiveness, that is the person that's going to win the sales over the long term. In other words, there's a lot that people can control, and if we focus on those elements in the way we're coaching, mentoring, and developing our leaders, or just anybody, um, that will go a long way, I believe, to making things better, not worse. There was a, a part in the article that you and uh, Eddie Elmer did that I, I just wanted to read here quick and then just ask you something about it and because uh, I found it intriguing and it made a lot of sense. Uh, and what it says is companies may even consider loaning special accessories to employees for use during work hours, accessories that are associated with high social status and success, such as fine watches, jewelry, types of cosmetics, colognes, perfumes, that these products may even be merchandise sold on the premises, thereby offering an upsell opportunity for retail businesses. And it, it goes a lot to what you, we've all been talking, we've been talking about here about the idea of, of presence and the idea of image. Is that something that is becoming popular? Is that something that you would put out there for a company if that they have that, that capability that, hey, if it's going to help your company to, to give this offer, I guess what's kind of your overall take on that? 
Well, again, that's a that's a Pandora's box, and that's talking <laughs> about a particular kind of business. Let's call it luxury goods. Sure. And again, I'm going back to the the notion of let's say that consumer that walks into the Tiffany and Company jewelry store. If the person is dealing with an associate, a sales associate that looks like he or she can't afford Tiffany, looks like he or she doesn't even feel comfortable around luxury goods, that person's not going to feel comfortable buying from that person. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to we are most comfortable and we like people that are most like us, that are most similar to us. That familiarity gives us a lot of comfort. So if I am a sales associate for a luxury jewelry store or some other product, I should look like the kind of people that come in and buy from there. That's going to be most impactful. That's what's going to be seen as attractive. Not someone that dresses completely unlike the consumer, that doesn't have accessories like the consumer, that doesn't seem to understand and get the world of the consumer. And I think a lot you see targeted advertising being talked about, psychographic profiling in the advertising world, where messages and medium and information is trying to be matched more closely than ever before, online and offline with the values and the attitudes and expectations of the consumer. And I think that the statement that you just read, that tactic from the paper, Mm. is just a very simplistic way of applying that basic principle. Kind of with all this information and people's own thoughts and and feelings about whatever situation they're in, a question I just want to give you, and it's very general, obviously, and you've touched on a number of these things, but maybe just to kind of put it in a summary idea, people who who are out there, looking for a job, uh, you know, whether they are currently employed or they're not employed, and they have this concern about their looks, whether it be uh, an age thing or just appearance, or maybe they don't have confidence right now, what would be your overall advice to give to them in terms of worrying, so to speak, or having concern for their looks when they're going into a job interview or to a job fair, that type of situation? Well, I certainly would tell them to dress well. I would certainly tell them to mind their manners and watch etiquette. But more than that, it's what people don't teach you. I would really recommend that those individuals go to maybe some of their old university professors, um, some uh, of their friends' parents, especially ones that are in the corporate world or business, and get advice on how to come across interpersonally with these individuals. A person could have a wonderful resume, dress really well, have the right business etiquette, but if they come across like C-3PO, Like they're just spitting back a script and it's well rehearsed and there's not a sense of comfort, naturalness or confidence, then all that work of dressing well just went down the tubes. Sure. So again, it's the obvious is looking good, looking as well as you can. That, that is the obvious. What's not obvious and what people should be paying attention to above and beyond if they're really serious about making networks and being impactful is how they're coming across from an interpersonal standpoint, their attitude, their confidence levels, just their whole demeanor and temperament. That takes practice too, but it also has to be genuine and sincere. So practicing how to come across confident, polished, educated, but at the same time, accessible, likable, familiar, that's something that people don't pay enough attention to. And oftentimes that's what makes or breaks that job interview or makes or breaks that promotion. Great. Definitely. Definitely good advice there. Uh, Just a couple more things, really. And I don't know if this is something you've necessarily looked at or um, if anything suggests one way or the other. But one of the things that some of the some of my colleagues asked about was the idea of with this whole perception of attractiveness and how people interact with each other. 
essentially there are four different types of, of ways between the genders that there'd be interaction, you know, male to male, male to female, female to female, and then female to male. Uh, so I, I hope you understand where I'm getting at with that. But is there, I do. I do. Is there a certain, are one of those situations where uh, one is speaking to the other or, um, you know, maybe presenting something to another that there seems to be a larger um, effect, positive or negative, as opposed to, I mean, for example, if it's a woman speaking to a man versus a man speaking to a man, is there a certain gap? Is there a certain relationship there that seems positively or negatively a larger margin of effect, so to speak? I think, generally speaking, you're going to see a bigger gap across sex than between people of the same sex. Mm -hmm. Just because I said before that people are most, you know, comfortable with people most like themselves. So while a man might enjoy interacting with a woman more, he'll probably feel more at ease talking with a man. Sure. Just because there's already that sense of equality right there. So I think generally speaking, again, this is just a generalization. Right. But whenever you are speaking to someone of the opposite sex, then there are so many different lines of communication going, shall I say, that you probably don't have with same sex and that's one thing, and you mentioned the, the generalities that we are speaking in, obviously. Every situation is going to be different, um, but this comes from you know, your research, other studies, just daily interaction that hopefully people recognize. And that was the idea, again, behind this show was just to give people that information and, as you kept mentioning, just self-awareness more than anything. Uh, so with that said, kind of the final thing, and again, putting a nice big bow on, uh, I mean, we covered a lot of different things. And again, I appreciate all of your, uh, your expertise and bouncing around with the different subjects. But in this idea of attractiveness and how you present yourself and, and all that sort of thing, if you were talking to an employer in terms of how you treat your employees or through the hiring process, what would be your greatest caution to them in terms of making sure that even if you're not doing it, that people aren't accusing you of certain biases or favoritism? And is there a certain strategy or methodology they could use just to kind of cover themselves because we know that there are certain people out there just looking to make a quick buck or looking to get ahead in some way. How would you suggest to them just ensuring that everything is on the up and up and, and nobody really can have an argument on that? Yeah, I guess I would say just to keep this simple um, as, as an example of what I'm going to say, uh, let's take the situation of, say, screening and selection or promotion. Sure. Um, so in that context, the best thing a person can do is use a structured system of checks and balances. By that, I mean is for applicants, make sure they're being evaluated fairly. And it's not just your opinion that they are, but that they are. For example, in the hiring process, a lot of companies now are using assessments, either personality-based tools or skills or competency assessments to give an objective standardized piece of feedback about a person that has nothing to do with how they look. Right. Um, and also a process that other people are involved in decision-making. So it's not just you, but there is a diverse group. It doesn't have to be large, but maybe there's you know three to five other individuals that are talking and discussing information that can help be a cross-check to you and your biases that can complement standardized testing. Then that way, it really doesn't get rid of you know subjectivity, but it really minimizes it. And, and hopefully, the more people that are brought into a decision process 
the more that there is a system of checks and balances that's proven fair, that's wrapped around uh, a procedure or an activity, the more likely you're going to be protected. Well, that's good advice because obviously, as you said, we, we covered so many different aspects and, and all these things exist. So any way that uh, we're making sure employers, employees, uh, and just the general public that we're, you know, things are still, uh, despite those biases, things are still done the right way. So uh, we appreciate your, your final words of advice there. Uh, as we have reached kind of the finish line for our show today, uh, hopefully all you listeners have enjoyed your dose of scrambled eggs here on localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm sure you've gained plenty of knowledge and insight also into the topic of the so-called beauty in the workplace. Uh, We want to thank, of course, our guest, PhD Jim Haran, Managing Director at HBS Executive Search. Dr. Jim, I truly appreciate all your expertise here today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, again, for all you listeners, please send us your comments and ideas for the show to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You've been feeding on scrambled eggs. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. 